This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, from the great state of Texas, we have Mr. Muhammad Momin with us. What's going on, man? Not much, man. How are you guys doing? Good. What's happening? So listen, you're you're in Austin and other places. I don't even know that I understand the exact depth of your agency as far as how geographically spread you are. Why don't, why don't you, we take two seconds quick, though, and give everybody kind of a overview of the biography of Muhammad. Like, what's your story? Where did you come from? How did you get into insurance? So I have a technical background. I got my bachelor's in electronics engineering. Hmm. So I was doing that for a while and uh, bought into a franchise operation, just strictly auto stuff. And it didn't work out so well. So I got in the whole franchise went belly up. So, Hmm. so I was stuck with a location with no no product to sell, you know, and all the customers were literally walking out because I couldn't take their payments because the company I used to write with just kind of went kaput, you know. So I had a little client. We had to go hunt for new companies. You know, the franchise company I had had a bad reputation. I literally went to trade shows, and I'll and I'll talk to them. And as soon as I pull out my card and give it to them, they'll grab my card and take it and give it back to me. They no thank you. <laughs> Bad, bad, you know. Wow. Yeah. So awesome place to work. Yeah. So, it, 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 like I said, it was it was horrible, you know, in the beginning uh, when I had to start off the whole thing from scratch again. But you know, it's been great since then. You know, uh, being out of the franchise operation and being independent, hundred percent independent. I say, you know, it's it's been a blessing. You know, I learned a lot from those times. You know. I was naive, what behind the ears, what you want to call it, you know, took people's word for everything and not document anything, you know, you know, just trusted everybody like a fool. But now it's more like a trust and verify. Yeah, so I trust you. That's why I'm literally having a conversation with you. But uh, sometimes you know, it takes something like that happening for you to yeah. you you know, learn the hard way. So that's crazy, man. Going to trade shows, handing business cards, getting rejected without even a conversation. I don't think that I would last too long doing that either. So, no. 
how did you get to STAR? STAR, uh, initially it was a non-standard office, right? So we were doing all just bucket shop stuff, you know, eventually then I had a resource of customers that always to come in through my community saying, hey, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? I was like, no, 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 no. Eventually I got tired of saying no. I said, like, you know what, I'm just going to spin it off and just separate the, the bucket shop and keep that going on the side and start a, uh, a preferred agency. And that's what happened with that. So, And you're currently split right now, right? I mean, yeah. you've got a little bit of each that you're doing. It, it's funny because the non-standard stuff is so foreign to us. Like, yeah. it's almost the exact opposite of what we want to write or what we look at. So talk a little bit about what it's like building building a business in that segment. I'm interested in hearing kind of what you go through because I can only imagine that accounting nightmares exist uh, and other things. <laughs> yeah, so non-standard is a different beast on its own. You know, it's it's not as service driven as a preferred agency, you know. Uh, yeah. You're trying to keep your costs low so you don't hire the most uh, efficient employees, you know. Um, you don't invest too much on uh, high-end, you know, CIC certification employees for the non-standard side. Plus, those people don't even want to come into the non-standard side. So everybody that comes in is pretty fresh, straight out of McDonald's, flipping burgers, you know, type of people. So which is good, you're you're getting brand new people. But this bad part is the work ethic is not always there, right? So you deal with that rotating door of when people employees going in and out, in and out all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but once you find the ones that really like you, like I have a few employees that have been with me for 14 years on that side, wow. you know? So so we get some loyal ones that come through and then there's some that always leave, you know? So, which is not a big deal. Um, I, we, in Texas, I don't know about other states, but Texas is a fee-driven state, right? So non-standard, you could charge tons of fees and it's okay, you know? Mm -hmm. You would get it with fees like, there's no tomorrow. And plus the companies, non-standard companies come and go all the time. So we always have these, um, I call them, you know, these brand new fresh GAs that want to come and, you know, buy out the market, will come low, low premium and just wanting to basically grow their book. And next year they'll go and increase it, you know, but there's somebody else also comes in behind them and wants to buy out the market. So you're constantly rolling your business around quite a bit, you know. Um, so there's always that ro uh, rotation going on when you're rewriting, rewriting, you know, but with the same thing, what ends up happening, these customers are not loyal. So they come and go, come and go. They'll be with you, what, three months and they'll be gone for another two months. They'll come back in three months or, you know, whatever the case may be. So when they pick up another job, <laughs> yeah, and, and what you're really banking on is fees. You bank right. fees, you know, if you write a policy, you make, you charge them you know, 50, 60, 100 bucks up front and that's yours. So if the customer stays, goes, doesn't matter. I'm interested. We were talking a little bit offline before we got on and started recording about, you know, cold blooded killer and just like kind of having like it. You mentioned you had a few people that have been with you for 14 years. Have you noticed any common denominators with them? Like, you know, what's caused them to stick around and be successful? They, I, I, I think they are, they're happy in their own bubble. You know what I mean? I try to move them up, try to bring them to the start. I always incentivize them say, hey, look, if you do good here, 
-hmm. you know what, I'll put you into the preferred agency side because there's not many agencies that can do that, right? David Carruthers cannot say, hey, you know what, come here, sell auto insurance for me, and eventually I'll turn you into a cold-blooded commercial killer. You know, mm -hmm. there's no path from that perspective. So I give them that, you know, fresh coming out of uh, high school or, you know, first year in college or whatever. I say, look, you have the option of growing depending on where you want to go. You mm -hmm. know, and so but I have those 14 year old employees, but they're kind of stuck and they're happy where they are. You know, if I try to give them more, they get frustrated or they don't want to learn. I say, OK, you know what? If you want to stay in this bubble and do this and this works for me, I'm fine. I think that's a place where a lot of us that own businesses or have been in management have failed in the past because we always, in some cases, I mean, I actually did a <clears throat> blog post about this a few months back. I think sometimes we want more for our people than they want for themselves, mm -hmm. you know, and who am I to force, you know, now the spirit of that post wasn't necessarily the same. It was more that a lot of people were degenerates and we expect more than that, more of them than what they expect of themselves. But I think if you flip the script a little bit, it's true. You know, sometimes we try and force people to take a promotion because we think that they would be better moving up. And guess what happens? I think you lose good people if you try and push the envelope that way. You put them in a position that they weren't comfortable with to begin with. And then we get pissed off when they don't do the job well. And they tried to tell us up front that they weren't ready to go there. I think it's just because you have a different mindset, like as a business owner, like I don't think that way, right? You know, you know that. And and um, I, I think that's where that comes from is because we have it in our heads that, okay, this is the path that you want, like who wouldn't want to move up? Who wouldn't want to, you know, um, gain more equity or, or um, progress their career or further themselves? But I think you're right. I think there are some people who are just totally happy with doing the same thing over and over because they're comfortable with it. They don't feel like it's a challenge and they don't want it to be. They don't want, they don't want the nerves or the, um, you know, the, the, the challenge of having a new opportunity, I guess. Here's something I can promise you for a fact. I don't know who her, what her name is or what store she works at, but I'm willing to bet you money that there is somebody who has been a cashier at Publix for 40 years, had plenty of opportunities to move up, but never wanted to be anything more than a cashier. And it's probably got a net worth of over a million bucks at this yeah, point by right. the time you figure out what their stock options are mm -hmm. and all of this other stuff. Yeah. And it, it is, it's just somebody, look, all I want to do is come to work from nine to five every day. I'll do everything I can to make it awesome while I'm here, but I don't want any more responsibility than that. I'm not. But, and, and, and there's, and there's totally a place for that. I think you just have to have that conversation and, and be on the same page. If you try to force it with them, that's when it, that's when it goes South. I agree. I agree. And I, you know, I know that I've screwed people up in the past. By trying to force stuff that didn't need to yeah, be forced. get off my back, bro. Let me be. <laughs> <laughs> I just no. want to be a cashier, man. So do you have a success story of somebody that started out in the non-standard that you've moved through to the preferred agency that's done well? Yeah, like my, my GM right now, right? So my GM started off as a non-standard agency with me. And she worked, she worked, and then she left. She worked for another commercial agency for, for a while. Then she worked for another uh, as a management. Eventually, I brought her back in as my uh, commercial person and my uh, star insurance because that's what she was doing. And then eventually, I made her my GM. You know, So there's always these, uh, and I tell, uh, there's a one girl named 
Star Carbajal. I use her as an example when we have meetings. You know, Star came to me when she had like six months of insurance experience working for an agency. And now she works for another agency called Freeway as their regional manager. You know, and I tell all my employees, use me as a stepping stone. Come here, learn, because I don't expect you to work for me for the rest of your life. But I want you to grow with me and at least max out my max as far as you can go with me, then move up and eventually maybe come back like Ruth did, you know, where she maxed out at that time. I didn't have a preferred agency to put her in. So she maxed out non-standard as much as she could. She got tired of auto and made selling renters. So she went to another agency, sold home and the commercial, went to a, a big uh, GA doing call, um, call center type of stuff, you know, and then eventually came back over here. So it was a full circle, <laughs> you know. So we get plenty of those. But, uh, you know, as an agency owner, you get you it just hurts to see a potential in somebody and they're not maximizing that potential. It's like, you're so much capable of doing more, but just come on, just work with me. I want you to grow, you know, and mm -hmm. these agents that are with me for 14 years, it, it, it hurts me to look at their lifestyle and say, 14 years ago, you're in the same place as you are now. You haven't really improved in life. You know, I look at your salary for the last 14 years. It hasn't really increased that much, you know, and I can't pay you more than what you're actually doing. So right. it's just like, why, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I, I just think that because of the way we're wired, we're in the position we are, and it makes it difficult to understand when people are willing to settle for less. Yeah. And it's not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just that that doesn't compute with me. I mean, yeah. there's never anything in my life that I've done where I've walked in and said, eh, I think I'm going to be out. average. Yeah, I think I'm going to go out and be okay today. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll hit the middle of the road with perfection. You know, I'm not going to do too much, but I'm also not going to do too little. I'm going <laughs> to get out and I'm going to make today the most okay day of the week. It's just not how <laughs> we're wired. Right. And some people are, and we need to accept that. And if you're an agency owner out there and you've had that issue, maybe maybe you find some level of agreement with that. If you're a producer out there, you're probably not going to understand that at all because that's why you're a producer. And, you're and, not wired that way. And I guess if you look at life in general, right? If everybody became Bill Gates, then who the hell will be the user who just kind of does all the minor stuff or cleans, cleans our bathroom? Everybody has this purpose in life, but I just hate to see, you know, people not maximize their potential, mm -hmm. you know? So I guess- I, we, I agree. Yeah, but we need those type of people that are okay with selling auto insurance, you know? Otherwise I wouldn't have that 14 year old employee, you know, who's been with me, who knows my system well and does a great job doing it. I think sometimes too, because you were in leadership, because we're driven, because we're producers ourselves, sometimes, you know, we take an ego hit. I, I think, I know I can say that, right, about myself, where I really want to see that I can make somebody something that they didn't want to make of themselves. And they just, the, the fact of the matter is, they just never wanted to be anything more than what they were. And here I am, I take a personal shot to my ego and think I'm a failure to a certain degree because I couldn't transform them. Right. Well, I knew up front that I wasn't going to be able to transform them. You know, it was pretty obvious. And yet I missed that because, Again, it goes back to, do I want more for my team than what they want for themselves? And I think that we need to, you know, we need to do a better job of establishing 
those things, period. Yeah. And I, when, do you, when do you think it's right to have that conversation? Is it, is it right away? Is it, is it after they have made it through some sort of training? Like what's the timeline on that? Cause that's an yeah. interesting point that you bring up. And it's also can be not necessarily a delicate conversation, but it's something that has to be thought out. I think, you know what? I, I, I honestly think that it's a conversation that needs to be had in the interview. And I don't think that it needs to be a point of contention. I just think it's a point of education. So mm-hmm. if you talk to somebody in the interview and say, look, here's, here's where we're at. What are your aspirations? What are the things you want to, you want to achieve? What, what would you see yourself doing if we were to bring you into our organization? Let them tell you, you're going to mm-hmm. be able to, you're going to know the answer to that question at that point. And the, 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 the thing that needs to happen is that is the leadership of the organization. You have to recognize that and say, all right, well, if we're doing succession planning, this checks out. We're not going to count her in because she's staying where she's at and not doing anything else. Mm-hmm. But this dude over here, he wants to he wants to run the whole thing, you know. And so I, I just think it's really being in tune with the people that are in your organization. And that starts with an effective interview process. And I think that if you do that, you're, you're doing it as much to set their expectations, but even more so set your own. And I have yeah. done that with some of my employees, right? When we do our uh, annual reviews and stuff like that, we sit down with them and say, okay, what do you want to do now? You know, you learned this. What else do you want to learn, right? So it, in my agency, we have the uh, we have the option of, hey, you just want to just do non-standard auto or you want to do, go do commercial and everything in between. You know, you could do just personal lines at a standard agency. So we have all these stepping stones. So I always ask him, okay, tell me, what do you want to do in the next year or two years or three years so I can plan your whole career based on that, right? Um, and keep you in mind for any other opportunities that might come up. You know, uh, when you have a big enough book, you have everybody from processing department, you have people doing accounting, you have, do, you know, we have people doing underwriting, all of our policies. So there's so many places you could go to, you know, so I always do that every year. It's like, hey, tell me what you want to do. You know what your aspirations are you know and based on that we plan their career so yeah i think the other thing too is that again i think that because we like to win so much that if somebody leaves our organization sometimes we view that as a loss and i think that we have to look at it and again it goes back to what i said before you take somebody that all they wanted to do was remove staples from you know, stapled documents. And that was what they were qualified to do. And they were perfectly happy doing that for $9 an hour. And all they ever wanted to do was remove staples and collect a paycheck. But yet we're trying to make them a general manager. You know, we set them up for failure. But at the same time, I think the other thing too is we have to be okay with the fact that the average person's not going to be a lifer. Like not every time somebody walks in your front door, are they going to retire from your organization? And I know, you know, I have the conversation when I interview people, and I just very clearly tell them, look, I want this to be the last job you ever have. That's my goal is I want you to never leave. And I want to do what I can do to equip you to give you the opportunity to advance and stay and whatever else. And I think that people buy into that and then they get in and realize, okay, well, that was a great line, but I do have to work and I do have to perform. And, you know, I'm expected to show up and I'm, ex- <laughs> I mean, all these things that, yeah, me telling you that this needs to, that I want this to be the last job doesn't mean I'm going to keep you around regardless. 
Right. But, you know, I do think that also, again, knowing how I'm wired, I like to win. And if I bring somebody in and I invest in that person and I look at it, it is, I, I think it's probably more prevalent if it's somebody that's on the service side of the business, because that's a sinking hole to me. You know, I mean, yes, you're getting a return on your investment because tasks are getting done that need to happen. But it's not like putting money into a producer that didn't go multiply that money that you've invested. The, the service people are a little bit more difficult. And, and because of that, I think that if you bring somebody in and you devote every ounce of you know, resources that you have available to them, you get them training, you get them licensed, you get them designations and all the things that we do, and they turn around and go somewhere else, it's almost like getting divorced from your wife you know, or your husband, ladies. And, and you, you get offended by that. Like, what did I do? Why aren't you sticking around? I thought I gave you a great place to work. What opportunity could have been better? And at the end of the day, maybe it's just that those people were only meant to be there for two or three years. And that's what you should have accepted on the front end and, and just focused on getting the best two to three years from them that you possibly could. So let me ask you a question then. Where do you draw the line? You know, if you had employees that are with you for 14 some odd years, right? Where do you draw the line between being an awesome boss to a friend? Because I think that gets, after the long term, that area gets really gray, right? So you always have to like really walk that fine line where being a friendly versus friend. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I can, I, I agree. And I, I think that we all walk that fine line. You know, do, do I think that it's possible to have friendships inside the workplace? Absolutely. And what I would tell you is that anybody that's my friend that doesn't work with me would probably tell you I'm just as direct to them as a friend as I am to the people that are on my team. It's just who I am. And I mean, yeah, there's got to be boundaries. There has to be some level of boundaries there. But I'm pretty sure that if you were to ask Kyle if he thought I would make a tough decision and communicate that, that I would do it and, be, and do it in a direct manner. And I would like to think that he would understand that it was under the guise of professionalism and what was best for the agency. And if his goals are aligned with mine, and I've done a good job of casting the vision for where I want the agency to be and everything that needs to happen, if I bring up something that didn't align with those goals, there shouldn't be an issue with us addressing that and then pushing past it and moving on. I think yeah, a lot I of the agree. Time, I, I think sorry. yeah, I think a lot of the time what happens is people get their feelings hurt. Yeah. You know, I don't mean anything by it. If you if you didn't do something you were supposed to do, I'm gonna call you on it. I'm gonna say, look, this is what should happen. But on the flip side, I'm gonna also ask them to do the same to me. Kyle has no problem following up with me when I've dropped the ball on something. Yes, people, I dropped the ball on a regular basis. It usually involves premium financing. Anyhow. <laughs> but and we're back. Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I think that if you have that kind of good two-way communication and, and you know, he look, there is no doubt in my mind that if you asked him if I had his back, he would tell you unequivocally there will never be a situation that he would be in personally or professionally that I wouldn't have his back. 100%. And that should be anybody on my team. Anybody yeah. on my team I would do that for. It's not isolated to him. But he would also say if he screwed something up, he would expect that I would address that with him. But I also wouldn't hold it over his head. I mean, there are a lot of times, truthfully, Mohammed, where I probably should be more difficult to get along with than I am to a certain degree. There's times where I should hold people more accountable to certain things. Again, it goes back to the service side, but that that's where that's one of the places where I'm weak. And I'm I'm happy. I shouldn't say weak, but I'm not as strong because I gravitate to where I'm good. Look, you want me to go out and make it rain? I'm gonna make it rain all day, every day. 
But if you want me to come in and put workflows in place for account managers and CSRs and hold them accountable to their standards and understanding the metrics and the KPIs and all of that, don't count on me to produce too. I mean, I could, I would have to get into that mindset. I'd have to learn the full time thing. It's not like you can balance both and be effective at it's both just, right. at a high level. I mean, you can, you can do it, of course, but <laughs> it's like your example earlier about being being mediocre, right? I, I don't, and that's not that's not going to get our agency or any agency, for that matter, to where they want to be. No, I agree. You were going to say something, and I kept going. What was it? Um, I think it was just in relation to you had brought up being being direct. I, I think, um, and, and I think that's the key when you're having any type of conversations um, like that. That that you've got it. For for me, when when somebody's not direct with me, that's way worse than somebody just telling me exactly how it is and and what I screwed up or or what I need to change and get and get better at. If I'm sitting there having to guess or you know read through the lines at things that's that's when i think those relationships get um get into a an area that is is not going to be good for both i think if you're a producer you have the producer's mindset that's what you want we want that we want that from a prospect we want someone guy feeding us with a line of bs about dude you're gonna tell me no tell me no i don't want to sit here and, and and chase you around for for you know, six weeks trying to get an answer from you. Like, I'm fine if you tell me, no, you don't want to do business with me, but, but tell me. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think that we, we appreciate that. Yeah. I don't necessarily know that service people appreciate people that are direct like that. It's a different you mindset. Know, they want you to coddle them and hold their hand. And I'm not saying all, you know, all across the board, that's the way that it is. You can save your hate mail for another day. <laughs> people i'm just saying in general the way producers are wired is they want to go out they want to kill it and drag it back to the cave mm-hmm. and then go out and kill something else and that's how they're wired they want people that are direct they want people that are relatively intense they want to um you know communicate and associate with people that are like that and you know truthfully that's probably why there's a rift in many agencies across the country between sales and service because mm-hmm. they don't speak the same language Mm-hmm. And that's really the biggest balance for me as an agency uh, principal is making sure that you keep the peace that way. Because good God, you want to talk about something that can, you know, take up a day, let the sales team and the service team get in a fight about something. And <laughs> it's nuts. You know, people are pointing fingers at everybody else. And I mean, I think it's interesting, too, because you're not only dealing with it in one kind of an agency. I mean, your your agency to me sounds like a freaking Rubik's cube, man. You know, I mean, you've got you've got non-standard, you've got your your preferred and your commercial and all of that other stuff. So you have to wear a lot of hats. That's got to be how do you not have white hair, man? It it, 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 is, it is kind of crazy to be honest with you. And and I and I think I mentioned this before, where uh, at the Jason Cass, uh, you know, uh, pot uh, uh, meetings, where I feel like I'm riding a boat down the stream with one foot on one uh, boat and the other foot on the other boat, you know, it gets, it kind of gets crazy after a while, you know, where you have to ch- literally change your mindset from service, service, service at preferred side and fees, fees, fees on a non-standard side, you know? So it, it, it is really totally opposite side of the, uh, you know, of the, of the insurance. And it, it, it does go crazy sometimes, you know? Well, how, do you, how do you balance it? I, I I literally had to get a GM to do that because there's a lot mm. of babysitting, a lot of BS stuff that goes yeah. on the other side, 
And I had to, that's why I brought it, my, my GM is like, hey, you know what? Here you go. I'm not going to micromanage you. You show me results. I'm fine with you. Come talk to me about issues you're having. I give you solutions and then you go execute. You know, so I had to literally let it go from that perspective. I had to put this wall of GM between me and and she handles everything else. So that kind of helped me focus more on the preferred side. Before that, it was, you know, a few days there, a few days here, a few days there, a few days here, you know, where you get really a mediocre agency in, 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 in essence, you know, because you're not there or there, you know, mm -hmm. so being that being that you've got like the non-standard and the preferred going on and you know it seems like you're kind of um you know you know got your hand in different jars what kind of niches are you guys in so on the star insurance side is purely retail and uh commercial so it'd be like convenience stores gas stations your uh liquor stores shopping centers lros you know so mm -hmm. 99% of my clients are Asian, right? So I've been approached to uh, been approached by other agencies to, hey, let me buy your agency out. I said, look, unless you're tan like me, I'm not going to stay with you. <laughs> you know, if I sold my uh, agency to David, most likely all those clients will be gone in a year or two. Hey, you know? I get pretty, I get pretty dark in the summer, man. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's purely based on relationship and and you know they prefer to deal with people within their own community or their own uh you know ethnicity or whatever the case may be because we speak their language and that's one thing we kind of build our you know, the whole business on yeah no I, I think that that makes sense and i mean it, it's but we could make this a really controversial topic or we could just lay it out right yeah. i mean I, I don't think that it needs to be controversial um you know, I see it all the time. I see that people from Tarpon Springs that are Greek typically deal with Greek agents because of what you said. Um, Jewish people, in my experience, typically deal with other Jewish people. Again, alignment of values. They speak the same language and all of that. Uh, I wouldn't expect anything other from, you know, ethnicity, right? I, I wouldn't think that I if, if you and I were going to compete at the point of sale and we were going after a convenience store that was owned by somebody of the same ethnicity as you, I'm probably going to lose that deal. I, I get that, right? I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. Um, I just think that a lot of times, you know, it goes back to using things that you can use to your advantage and in leveraging that, right? I mean, Kyle should be only doing business with people who have beards. Like that's it. <laughs> that's right. That's but sure. I mean, no, I agree with, but it's, it's, it's human nature, right? We only do business or hang around with people we're comfortable with, right? So mm -hmm. I don't think it's bad or good. It's just, it, it's just human nature, path of least resistance, right? I feel comfortable with David. I'm going to hang out with David. You know, if I don't, I'm not comfortable with Kyle, I'm not going to hang out with Kyle. You know what I mean? It, it is what it is. Whatever, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, goes, it goes back to what I say all the time. You know, when my kids ask me, what do I do if we're living? I get paid to make friends. That's yeah. it. Mm. You know, and all, and all I really want to do is I'm, I'm going to go out. I'm going to work with people that I know. And that's one of the questions I ask myself. Is this somebody that I would hang out with socially? Is this somebody I would surround myself with? Because if I wouldn't, then why do I want to work with them in a business setting either? It's not going to be enjoyable. Um, you know, and that's why one of the reasons why literally every one of my clients is somebody that I hang out with outside of going back and forth. They know that I have their best interest in mind. And 
you know, in the occasion that I might mess something up, they don't have a problem calling me on it because they know, number one, I'm perfectly comfortable with them calling me on making a mistake. And number two, I don't come up with a bunch of BS excuses as to why it happened. I own it and move on, Mm -hmm. you know? And again, it goes back to, can you have relationships inside the office that are friends? Well, can you have relationships with your clients that are friends? I actually, some of my best friends are people that are my clients and some of my best friends are not my clients. You know, people I've known my entire life don't even do business with me. They know everything that I do, Yeah. right? They know that I'm, I do commercial. They know I do personal lines and all of this stuff. And they yet, they don't ask. Some, of, the, some of that's probably for the best though. It is. And I don't solicit sure. them. Yeah. Like, I, I'm I not going to be that guy. I have friends that are best friends of mine that I've known for almost 20 years that I would not want to be my clients. And, and vice, I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't, you know, on, on the other side of the coin, want me managing their all their risk and everything. And that's totally fine. But I have other friends that I would. So, I mean, I, I'm with right. you on that. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to make it weird. Like I value right. the friendship, right? So I'm not, I'm not. Like you said, like they know what you do. Like, I mean, if, if it's something that they need help with, they're going to reach out. Yeah. For as aggressive as I am going out after business, yeah. I'm not, I'm not aggressive with my friends. And it's, it's funny, man, because it's actually the same thing that I tell people when they, when, when I have my killing commercial calls with them, I tell them the exact same thing. This is the only time we're ever going to have a call about this converse, about this topic unless you initiate a second call. I'm not going to reach out and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, remember me, or are you ready yet, or whatever else. Here's what we do. Here's, here's what it looks like. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, I don't want to go to an insurance conference and have to sit at a table in the corner by myself during lunch because everybody's afraid I'm going to try and throw the hammer on them to get into my program, right? I <laughs> I have friends and it doesn't make sense for all my friends, but for a lot of them, it does. And so I just have made a very conscious effort. And I tell them every single time for as aggressive as I am at the point of sale with a prospect to try and make them my client, I'm exactly the opposite in this conversation. And, you know, I think it's tough. It's not isolated to insurance. It's any sales profession, right? Anybody that knows you're in sales they know what you do. They're going to ask you. They're going to know. Wives talk. You know, we had people over for the Bucks game this weekend. Guy was the general counsel for a, a pretty good sized company. And we were talking shop left and right. He asked me what I did. I told him what I did, but I never said, hey, we ought to get together sometime and let me quote your business. You know, yeah. guy runs into an issue. Maybe I'll pop into his mind. Maybe I won't. What I do know is that he immediately went and started researching me on social media after the fact because I got all kinds of alerts. So obviously I planted the seed, but I did it in a way that wasn't obnoxious. And if he caught, when, when people reach out to you to have a business discussion or they want to talk to me about insurance or risk management, and that is the framework of that discussion, then the rules are already established. Now I'm in professional mode. If you're over to talk to me about the bucks, I'll sit there and talk about the bucks. I might throw the rays and the lightning in, you know, we do have a realistic opportunity to run the trifecta. Oh, that'd be so sick. Disappointing you know, game last night from the Rays, though, man. Well, I expect I, I wrote that one off immediately because Garrett Cole was starting and he owned us last year. So I figured yeah. we were going to start zero and one. It was, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. I fell asleep. It was four to three, and then when yeah. I woke up this morning, I'm like, oh, this didn't end mm-hmm. nearly as well as I thought it didn't would. Stanton, didn't Stanton hit a, a a grand slam at the end? 
I think probably I heard that. Yeah, that yeah. might be where the nine came him, from. Him or, Ju- him or Judge. I, I think it was No, Steve. it was him. It was him because yeah. I watched one of my buddies' Facebook. No, feed. it was yeah, it was four to three in the – I think at the top of the eighth, and I had switched back to the football game, and and then I got upstairs and pulled out my phone. I was like, damn, what happened? Yeah, that's what happened to me when I woke up this morning. But, I mean, again, yeah. going back to the point, you want to right. talk about sports? We can talk about sports. I'm not going to go start talking to you about my favorite recipe for lasagna in the middle of a conversation about mm. sports. You know, which, by the way, lasagna sounds really yeah. good right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to make it this week. I just have to determine what day. But um, anyhow. Thursday yeah. sounds good. Do Thursday. It's a very intensive recipe from Cook's Illustrated. It's a um, – I, I do this mushroom lasagna that's got a cream cheese, a, a creamy cheese sauce as opposed to the red sauce, but it's loaded with like portobellos and a bunch of other stuff. It is ridiculous, but it takes like four hours to make it. So I don't know that a weekday is going to be the best option there. Fair enough. Yeah. So, I mean, talk a little bit about uh, systems, man. What are you guys using? I know that you've got uh, a CRM that you have in place. I mean, what, what kind of stuff are you using from a technology perspective? I'm especially interested because, you know, you you are in the the next iteration of Silicon Valley there in Austin, and you got a bit of an engineering background, so I feel like you probably have a leg up on some of us from a technology perspective. Uh, you'll be shocked. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> well, I do use a CRM. Uh, you know, it took me a while to. I, I was so stuck on one system that I wanted one system that does it all. You know, that does the CRM part well, the management part well, the accounting part well, the whole, I just want a whole pie and that, that has everything in it, you mm-hmm. know? And I realized, you know, that's not how it works. Yeah, that, that does not exist. That does not exist, exactly. And, and there's policy management systems and there's a customer management system, right? So uh, I recently moved to a CRM, uh, insured mine. Um, it's been it's been fairly well, you know. They had they're obviously new, you know. So there's always bugs, you know, in the system. If I wanted to get a system like HubSpot or someone like that, then obviously it will be less bugs, you know, because they have it figured out somewhat, you know. Um, so yes, so we do use a CRM. Uh, we use uh, insured mine, and uh, for the management side, for the policy management, we use uh, NowCert. Uh, Interaction has been great. Now they are, you know both ways sync you know so that's something new i think I've, all the crms are going after two-way syncing you know um, but that also creates a whole bunch of issues <laughs> i've learned you know with uh with information getting all written back and forth and back and forth so it, it does create chaos um but I, it overall i think it's been better than before you know um but yeah so technology wise we have we have figured it out to where and that's all due to Jason Cass group, you know, IAOA and everything else by picking people's brains on these technologies has been awesome. So all of last year and all of this year has nothing been nothing but technology. You know, we got a new management system, we got CRM, we got, uh, you know, we started using Teams and all this other software we started using in our management system, in our office that we never used before. So it's been great, you know, so far, but it's still where you're perfecting your recipe, you know, for David's lasagna. You know? <laughs> so we're still trying to get, uh, uh, you know, find that right mix and right, you know, salt and pepper mix, you know, see which one works the best. So we're still exploring, but 
I mean, we're going the right direction, that's for sure. What kind of automations and stuff are you using right now? Are you doing stuff to market? Or, I mean, how, how does that look inside of? So, I, no, two two part question. Number one, what does that look inside your agencies in general? And number two, how do you how do you do it differently for the non-standard versus the the preferred stuff? So non-standard is usually because our non-standard marketing is a little bit easier because we have a lot of debt files, right? Customers come and go all the time. So the database of clients is huge, you know? So we work off of those and we market to those. So it's easier to kind of go after people that know your brand versus someone who does not know your brand. Um, non-standard always tends to be more bright in your face type of offices. I don't know if, you, I don't know if Florida has any of those or not. But um, but they're always bright yellow, you know. If they had strobe lights in the uh, in, in concrete, I swear to God, non-standard agencies would, would replace all the concrete with strobe light uh, bricks, you know. Um, but but that's how they tend to be. So it's always uh, the philosophy with non-standard office always been: if they can't see it, you can't sell it, you know. So you make it bright as possible. And right now we've been working off our our uh, own. Uh, client database we use agency zoom on that and on that side you know and we migrate all our clients so it, it's it's pretty good because it kind of goes after all our dead files automatically and you know so we kind of we kind of got that straight now with agency zoom but on the standard side it's always been referrals 110 percent referrals you know uh, philosophy always been is go after the whale there's a prison mentality you know you go into a prison you find the biggest guy beat the hell out of him <laughs> you know so i i kind of have the same philosophy with commercial where i find the most influential person you know if i'm going after a certain segment and i'll say okay you know who's the biggest guy in here you know and i'll make friends with him make you know get in his network and from there everything is easy you know so if you as soon as you bring that big whale in Everything else just follows, you know, because, hey, you could use that as a as a as a card. Say, hey, if I can short David, I can short Kyle, you know, so it so that's how you, I always done the commercial side. You know, I always go after the Davids of the world and tell Kyle, hey, I got David, so I could take care of you easy, you know. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, that's interesting. So you've got your niche stuff. You're also looking at some things that from an alternative risk financing standpoint um you know in terms of captives and things like that talk a little bit about your journey through trying to research and put together some of those things so you know you know because we became a niche and and got a hold of nice influential people it's easy to create uh you know the next phase where do you want to go next right you've got all these customers now what do you do you know um because you want to secure those guys as much as possible and it's easy to write one policy or something if you do a captive for a group than to go write individual for each person, you know what I mean? So mm. that's, the whole, that's the whole mentality. Like, hey, you know, now I got a, a set of all these pens, now I want to put them in one box. And that's what I'm trying to research with the captive, working with associations that deal with these clients of mine. Say, hey, you know what? Why don't we do a captive for you and bring these guys into your captive, you know? This way I could bring in more business from that perspective. So I'm talking to different associations, trying to get that part of the puzzle going, but that that's a whole different beast on its own. Oh yeah. 
So it, you don't have to open up a third concept, man. I mean, you're going <laughs> to you're going to have non-standard, preferred, and captive management at some it, point. And it, it is it is it, it 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 that captive side has its own. I've noticed that they have their own group of agents that do this day in day out. So now you're going into a whole different set of group of you know walking into a this group of room with these other captive agents or you know captive creators or what you want to call them but now you have to compete with them so it, it's just really it's a different mindset you know so yeah but i mean you know and again there's a reason why it's probably all they do right i mean now you're starting to get into really specialized stuff that could have a high upside but it could also have crazy consequences so you better find the big dog in that captive group as soon as possible and make friends with him so that you or her so yeah. that you have the ability to, uh, you know, pick their brain. Because, again, it's like I talk about trucking insurance. Risk retention groups and captives are not something you want to dabble in. Like yeah. you, you want to know it and understand it. Now, there's companies out there that have mechanisms in place that will allow you to have like a pseudo captive. Similar to that deal, that MVP program with Amtrust that I sent you the information on. Right where it, you're not really going full-blown captive out of the box. It just gives you an opportunity to um, maybe have a preferred segment inside your own own business that's, they call it a captive, but it's not essentially because you don't have the nearly the financial downside in that scenario, but it's a good stepping stone and it helps you understand. And, um, you know, I think that it's funny because I wonder how many agencies out there pay attention to their loss ratio in January, February, March, April, and May. Right. Once you get to the point that profit sharing is going to kick in or you have to lock in, people start looking at that stuff. And I think some of them end up getting surprised. Well, if you're running a captive, you better be on it 24 7, 365, because one claim could take the whole thing out if you're not careful. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've learned a lot because I have, I have friends who have actual insurance companies they started. Right. And I write for their company, you know. So having their brains to pick. You know, it's been great. They got me connected with Aon, you know, their resources and stuff like that. So having these all these puzzles, but it's almost like I see a, a, a puzzle, but it's not put together. So I see this piece or that piece or that piece. But trying to put that whole picture together is so difficult with the captive side or the group, uh, uh, you know, retention group side or anything like that. Because you don't know what that, what that, where that hole is that you may step on and fall over. And those are the things you try to avoid, you know. But it, you're right because if you if you screw up on a captive, you just lost a whole bunch of clients. Mm -hmm. you know? So you and money. Bundle, yeah, you try to bundle all your clients into one captive, and you screw that up, your reputation is gone. <laughs> you know, you host. So it is it is pretty risky move to go into the captive or risk retention groups or anything like that. But if it goes well, then you know it it, it goes really well. You know. So. Yeah, it's it's kind of like putting five thousand dollars down on a single hand of blackjack. It could go really well or really bad. Yep, yep. <laughs> so you know, so I'm really rethinking and saying, okay, should I really go down this venture, you know, or you know, what should I do, or just do what I'm doing now, or just go the David Carruthers way and just go after the big whales and just keep a whole bunch of small you know, group of whales going on, you know, and grow from that perspective. You know what happens when I would put $5,000 down, A, if I were ever going to do it. Um, but if I put $5,000 down on a hand of blackjack, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to pull double eights every time. 
and I'm going to have to split them. So then I'm going to have to put another 5,000 down. <laughs> and then I'm going to pull a seven on top of the first one. And I'm going to have to look and see is the dealer holding the six, five, four, three. So I know I can stay. Or is that dealer showing a face card, which is 99% of the time. So I'm going to have to hit that. I'll pull a four. So it's a 19. So I'm still not out of the woods yet. On the second one, I'm going to hit it and I'm going to pull another eight, which means I'm going to have to split it again. You guys know where this story is going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime you've any, listen, if you've ever played so you cards. Got, you got three of the three of the four eights. Uh, no, I'll, I'll have all four by the time it's over with because that's how it works every time. When I've like been waiting, 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 and then all of a sudden, boom, I want to throw. And I don't play a ton of blackjack, but I used to play a lot. Anytime I throw the big bet out, you can be sure it's going to be something that you have to split. Then you split it again and split it again. And half the time you're doubling down on the split cards too. So what was a $5,000 hand might be like twenty five or 30000 bucks. You haven't lived until you've seen yeah. kids lunch money on a blackjack table before. <laughs> That's crazy, fun. man. It is fun. The thrill of it is awesome. I love it. You know? you know what? It's funny because I heard somebody one time, and again, this was banter inside of a casino. So I don't know the accuracy or the legitimacy of this comment, but a guy that I was sitting at a table with one time told me that the same endorphins that are released by your brain from cocaine are the same endorphins that are released by your brain when you when you hit a gambling high. And that's why it becomes so addictive to people is because you get used to the sensation and the feeling. Mm. And you know what? I translate that 100% to what we do for a living because yeah. I don't I will never ever not be just amped up beyond all belief if I'm sitting in front of a large middle market account. It's just never that feeling has never gone away. And, you know, obviously if it's bigger, then it's even more pressure. And if it's smaller, it's maybe not as bad, but it could be $2,000 in revenue. And I'm still going to be amped up to get the deal done just because mm -hmm. I want to get the deal done. I want to win. And, and it's funny. I think that, um, you know, there, there has to be some scientific proof behind that as to what how it can be addictive to be a producer going after business i i have to believe that absolutely i mean it's, it's just like your blackjack example i think it's the same thing i think it's i think that's spot on yeah absolutely so if you're a producer and you're doing cocaine out there just go sell more business <laughs> and you won't have to worry about it <laughs> no i agree I, I bet you if you talk to these uh the the new killing commercial producers that got their first kill you know i'm sure they're stoked there it's, it's probably the biggest high they had you know for a long time so it's yeah it is it's interesting and it's funny because it's either and it, it, it doesn't vary okay it could be a young person that just got in the industry that you know they don't know any better so they're learning from the ground up and they go out and they they nail something or it could be somebody that's been doing it for 30 years and never had a process they just always dialed for dollars or cold called and now all of a sudden they've got a process and they can go out and they can get in front of these middle market accounts and they they win them and it's the exact same level of elation between the two of them it, you know which is cool to watch you know well listen man we are coming up on an hour i want to be respectful of your time we're batching today so i've got another one right after this that we have to jump on but i want to thank you for coming on board you were a little bit apprehensive of saying, hey, how come anybody wants to know about me? Which I never listen to that anyhow. I always talk people into coming on the show that don't want to come on. And it'll probably end up being one of our highest downloaded episodes. That's usually the case, too. That's what, that happened, with, that's what ha happened with Vonda Copeland. That's what happened with Josh Gurley. 
Josh yeah. Gurley, you know, he didn't want to come on. And now all I ever do, like every weekend I get another text from him thanking me for having him on the podcast because all of the stuff that it's done, you know, to help their agency, uh, you know, he was telling me, it, it's funny, he was, I can't guarantee these results, Muhammad, but I am going to represent what's happened with other podcast guests. Josh was telling me that they got a contract with a carrier that he had been going after for a couple of years. And I, you know, I heard that I heard him tell me that a couple of times. And I, I was like, great. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that's working for you. This weekend, he actually broke it down. And because of the niche business that they are in, that they can move to this carrier and the advanced compensation or the enhanced compensation that they've negotiated, uh, that one carrier contract that he got because the carrier rep heard him on our podcast means an additional million dollars in revenue to their agency over the next two or three years. Nice. So, oh, I can only hope, Muhammad, I can only hope <laughs> that we can deliver those same results to you. That would be awesome. <laughs> well, listen, man, if anybody wants to talk to you about, you know, some of the niche stuff that you're doing, or even I imagine people have questions about some of the the uh, non-standard, because I think everybody has questions about that to some degree. How do they get a hold of you? Uh, www.mystar.com or just uh, mmomin, M-M-O-M-I-N at mystar.com. There you go. Well, listen, man, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a great talking to you. Uh, I'm hoping that you're going to be coming this way in April for innovation. I don't know if you saw it or not. We're actually doing a a one-day workshop ahead of time for uh, commercial insurance, and then we're hosting a, a special event that you would be you, number one for my friends, number two for people in killing commercial, and number three for guests of the podcast. You got the trifecta, my buddy. You will be in there regardless. Lasagna, to be honest with you, what what's that? I'm coming for the lasagna. They, well, you know what? <laughs> that can be arranged too. That can be arranged too. So I'll I'll make it a point. And I've got a really good long term memory. So if you think that you'll get to Tampa and not get a piece of lasagna, you're only kidding yourself because I will mark that down and remember it. There so. you go, done. All right, man. Have a good one. We'll talk soon. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.